As it is um, Palm Sunday today, we're breaking uh, into our normal series. Not that we've got a series on Sunday evening at the moment, because we'll be starting a new series, uh, God willing, after Easter. But this morning, we looked at not so much Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but at uh, one uh, person that he met on the way to Jerusalem. And that person was in Jericho, and he was the worst sort, Sacchaeus, the chief tax collector. But the grace of Jesus Christ is so great that even the worst of sinners are saved, and not just saved, but transformed by it. So that's what we looked at this morning. Now, I want us to take a further step back tonight and look at a group of people that Jesus had mercy on as he was going to Jericho, uh, the ten lepers. And these people uh, were the outcasts of society. Uh, as an aside, and an important aside, it's so significant how many of the people that Jesus dealt with were uh, those on the periphery. Uh, it, I think, says a lot about our churches and our respectability that we have somehow lost the plots in thinking that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. And when we see ourselves as that, then we begin to appreciate him even more. And so these 10 lepers were outcasts. I'm not going to look at the miracle uh, tonight. I'm only interested in one thing. The one leper, all 10 were healed. All 10 uh, received, I think, forgiveness of sins as well. Their healing was a sign of spiritual salvation. But only one of them came back to give thanks. So if you want a verse tonight, you can have uh, verse 17. This is what Jesus said. I find these words quite a challenge. Were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Spurgeon's got a famous sermon with the title, Where Are the Nine? Couldn't the same be said of our evangelicalism? Where are the nine? Thankfulness is something that should uh, be prominent in our midst, but often it is not so. Uh, one other detail, uh, these ten lepers were in the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And commentators agree that that refers to a no-man's land between Samaria and Galilee. So that's an amazing fact as well. Not only were these outcasts, but they lived in a no-man's land. And yet, how thrilling that our Saviour delights to go to the no-man lands uh, of uh, our world uh, and he's still sending his servants to the no man's lands. It's hard to say that uh, of uh, our places today. Now, I just got three points to say about thankfulness. And as a good Welsh preacher, I tried to get them to start with the same letter, but I haven't managed that. So my first point is this. Where are the nine? Only one out of ten gave thanks. So the first point is the rarity of thankfulness. Have you ever read, um, is it Jeremiah Burroughs, the Puritan paperback? The rare jewel of Christian 
contentment. Couldn't the same thing be said of thankfulness? The rare jewel of Christian thankfulness. Am I exaggerating in saying, in the West, in our evangelicalism, is it true to say that only one Christian out of ten is abounding in thankfulness? Uh, there was a speaker in the Banner of Truth conference where I've been last week, and he was talking about a previous generation, how there would be Christians, and this is the phrase he used, it stuck with me, they'd be glowing with Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Glowing with Jesus Christ. They may not have had our education and even our sound theology, but what marked them out was their spiritual glow. Now, isn't it right to say of our generation, it's rare, isn't it, this glow of thankfulness? Don't you want to be able to be just like that? Now, some of you sometimes ask me, what's the best commentary on the Gospels? And I always say J.C. Ryle. 19th century, but you can't beat J.C. Ryle. He's so timeless, so timeless. And this is what he says. He says of the 19th century, and it's absolutely relevant for us today. The best of us are far too like the nine lepers we are more ready to pray. Well, we're sometimes not even ready to pray, but we're more ready to pray than praise and more ready to ask God for what we have not than to thank him for what we have. Murmurings and complainings and discontent abound on every side of us. This is J.C. Ryle speaking now of his day. Few indeed are to be found who are not continually hiding their mercies under a bushel <laughs> and setting their wants and trials on a hill. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? These things ought not so to be, but all who know the church must confess that they are true. The widespread thanklessness of Christians is the disgrace of our day. We can wax eloquently about disrespectful sins in the world, but what about the respectable sin? of thanklessness in our midst. Now, wh why is it so rare, I wonder, in the West? Notice I'm saying in the West. Because when I went to Moldova, that's Eastern Europe, I noticed in the prayer of the people there, one word, one of the few Romanian words I know, their prayers were full of this one word, multimisk, multimisk. Multimisk. Do you know what multimisk means? Uh, next time you meet a Romanian, you can use this word, multimisk. It means thank, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. They, they, they were so full of thanksgiving. And can I make this as a general principle that in parts of the world where things are harder for Christians, they are more likely to thank God for the little things that they do have. Whereas we, who are so well off, so comfortable, we become anesthetized to all the good things that, that God gives to us. I can remember going to India and returning to this country. It was thankfulness for the little things that overwhelmed me. You know, when you have been sleeping uh, on a mattress on a hotel floor uh, for about 10 days, oh, how grateful one is to be back in a bed again. Uh, when one has been traveling 
on a train, an overnight train journey, crammed in this little space, uh, protecting one's luggage. How grateful is one to be back in this country uh, and even with our uh, rail service. <laughs> uh, the things that God has blessed us with over here, his common mercies. So that, that's one reason, I think, I think. And then another reason, don't we take God for granted? Uh, before this incident, I read from verse 5, Jesus gave a parable of a man with a servant. And he said, it would have been odd if this man uh, would say to the servant, you just do what you like. No, no, he says, this man has every right to say to the servant, prepare me some supper and serve me and then you can eat and drink yourself. And he doesn't thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him. And he says, likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, what are we? We're unprofitable servants, aren't we? That's all we are. But, oh, how the opposite attitude pervades us so much of the time. We think uh, that God owes us something. How, how often we think in these terms. I came across this illustration in one commentary. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I think it makes the point. Uh, there was um, a lady who uh, lost her son in a tornado in America. I don't know if it's a true story. It's probably not. And uh, the tornado whipped her child away. And so she prays to the Lord, please, Lord, bring back my boy. I'll do anything to get him back. And suddenly the son reappears. And then this woman notices there's something missing. So she glares up at heaven. And instead of thanking God, she says, but he had a hat, Lord. He had a hat. Where's the hat? <laughs> oh, we... We think of God as somebody who owes us something. Listen, we owe God. We owe God our very breath. We don't have a right to be alive, you know. We didn't bring ourselves into being. God made you and me out of nothing. He has every right. He has the right to end our lives as much as begin it. And when you think of our salvation... We, we definitely don't have anything that we owe God, do we? And that brings me to another reason, maybe, why we fail to give thanks. This man who did give thanks, do you know what he was? He was a Samaritan. I think the word makes that clear, doesn't it? The end of verse 16, and he was a Samaritan. And even the Lord Jesus, verse 18, listen to this. Were there not any found who returned to give God glory except, and what does Jesus call him? Except this foreigner. Now that sounds like a term of abuse. But Jesus is amazed that of all the ones that have been healed, the one that should come back should be the Samaritan. They were the scum again of society. The Jews wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. And the foreigner is the one giving thanks. Oh, my friends, I sometimes think our Iranian brethren here are putting us to shame. Do you know how long they spend in the Bible study there after the evening service? Saeed sometimes doesn't get away for two or three hours. And even then, when he's taking them back in the minibus, his chariot, as he calls it, he'll be there for a few more hours because these brothers are so full of hunger for the things of God. Listen, they are provoking us, aren't they? In the right sense, may that happen. Why a Samaritan and not a Jew? Why a foreigner and not a national? 
I think this Samaritan understood grace, didn't he? And isn't it when we take grace for granted that we fail to give thanks? I'm speaking as a preacher here. Martin Luther wrote these words, and I can say spot on, Martin. Spot. I love Martin Luther. Don't you love Luther? He's so human. I, I could spend all day with Martin Luther. If Martin Luther, uh, well, he can't have a conference now, but if, if I was around in the Reformation and Martin Luther would have organized a conference, I would have gone to it. Listen, this is what Martin Luther said. The heart is always ready to boast of itself before God and say, after all, I've preached so long, and you don't have to be a preacher. You can say, I've done so many Sunday schools. I've done so many holiday Bible clubs. I've done so many open airs. I have done so much for the Lord and lived so well, and surely he'll take this into account. But Luther says, when you come before God, Leave all that boasting. And remember, don't appeal to justice but to grace. We're all unprofitable servants. When all has been done, we're still unprofitable. He then goes on. I myself have been preaching grace for 20 years. And still I feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal with God that I may contribute something. I cannot get it into my head that I should surrender myself completely to sheer grace. Oh, we are a church of grace, but may the grace of Christ pervade this building and all that we do. May there be an atmosphere of grace in our midst so that we can't help but give thanks. You know, we've been healed from a worse disease, haven't we, than leprosy, the disease of sin. So that's the first point, the rarity of thankfulness. And then I've just got two more points and I'll be done. Now, what's the characteristic of thankfulness then? Well, look at this man here. What did he do? Look at what he does. After they're healed, Jesus commands them to go and show themselves to the priest. So they had to do that in order that the priest would do the purification ritual according to the law of Moses. But this man, I love this, this man Instead of going straight to the priest, instead of doing his duty, as it were, he just runs straight back to Jesus Christ. Now, do you know what that is? Spontaneity. Do you know what spontaneity is? Do you know what spontaneity is? It's the opposite of just doing what you have to. You know, how often in evangelical Christianity, you have people doing things by rote. What's the phrase? Turning the handle of the pump is it that way the handle it's the old pump isn't it just turning the handle of the pump going through religious motions oh those nine they were doing the right thing by the book weren't they they were obeying the word of jesus they were obeying the ceremonial law and yet their hearts weren't in it oh this man even though in one sense he broke jesus's rule we have to take our hats off to him that he was just overwhelmed with what Jesus had done. I, I can remember this happening uh, in church. Every church has its way of doing things. <laughs> we have our way of doing things. The church I was brought up in spiritually, Aberystwyth Evangelical Church, Welsh Evangelical Church, had its way of doing things. And when we had communion, uh, we would all take the bread when it came, and then we would all retain the cup 
and we would drink it after everybody had had the cup, and then we'd drink it together. And I was sitting next to a boy, and I wasn't converted at this point, so I didn't take the communion. And this boy, second year of university, he'd just been saved the week before. He'd just been saved. So when the bread came round, he just ate it straight away, as everybody else did. And when the cup came round, he just was oblivious to the rule of the church to retain the cup so that we could all drink it together. I can remember him doing it now. He just drank it straight down. It, it looked very uncouth, but my friends, his heart was full of thanksgiving to the Lord that he broke the man-made rules. It was spontaneous, spontaneous. Oh, my friend, I can't force you to give thanks. Um, those of you who are, those of you who are parents, you don't want to hear this. Those of your children, do your parents still sometimes give you that look, which means you've got to give thanks? Uh, uh, I can remember receiving gifts from people, and I'd just be receiving them and wanting to enjoy them, and then my mum giving me that look. You've got to give thanks. You know that look? Our Heavenly Father doesn't do that. It's got to be spontaneous. Spontaneous thanksgiving and this is what one person said i think it's mr spurgeon again he was really right wasn't he this one leopard that returned he broke the rule but to bow at the feet of the great high priest is greater duty than to go before an earthly priest i fear sometimes for the evangelical scene especially the more reformed evangelical scene that we're so clinical, we've lost something of this spontaneity. I, I was quite challenged reading about a reformed evangelical camp, a young people's camp, and a girl who was quite infirm, if it's all right to say that these days, <laughs> on this camp, she, she was so uh, infirm, she had to drag herself around. And all these other campers, they, they, wouldn't, they, they wouldn't get near her that they just kept her at a distance. And these campers were sound uh, Christians from good gospel churches, but they were not warm towards her. And then the final evening of the camp, they had a big campfire. And the custom was, this is a good idea, we could do this on our camps. If anybody had a word to share, a testimony to share, they would take a stick <laughs> and throw it into the fire. And then they would just open their hearts before everybody and have a word of testimony. And you know what? All these young people from good, solid gospel churches, they didn't have anything to say. They didn't have anything to say. And this girl, with a lot of effort, picks up a stick, throws it into the fire, and looks at them. Haven't you got anything to say? Haven't you got anything to bear witness to? And she said this. And she looked at each camper. I don't know why God made me like this, but I just thank him. And he can have all of me there is. What a lovely word of testimony. Instead of complaining about her condition, she just says, my testimony is this. God, I thank you. And you can have all of me. Uh, many of you will have known Mary Jones and... Didn't John and Mary used to go to uh, uh, 
a fellowship meeting that some of you went to in this church down in Brunel Manor. And, uh, you know, John and Mary, they, they wouldn't speak English very well, would they? And I remember hearing Mary, uh, about Mary, uh, praying in this meeting. She, she wasn't used to English, praying in English. So do you know what she said? This was all she said. Thank you, Lord. Isn't that a good prayer? Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I'm here. Thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that I'm with your people. Thank you, Lord. So spontaneity, spontaneity. May we be a spontaneous church. Uh, sometimes I wish we wouldn't have all the hymn numbers up so that we could go according to the leading of the Spirit. Now, I know that that can be abused the other way. Now, I better not go off on a tangent. What else is true of thankfulness? Look at this one man again. How did he give thanks? Did he just return to Jesus? Oh, no, he ran. I'm sure he ran. And did he say just thank you? Th thank you? Did he do that? Verse 15. With a loud voice. Do you know what that means? Of course you do. He glorified God. What else did he do? Did he stand still? Uh, I sometimes go to ministers' conferences and we're told, if we are preachers, we should stand still and not move. I can't do that. This man couldn't stand still. He, he was moved. What did he do? He fell down on his face. Giving him thanks. What's that? Fervor. Isn't that true? Now thank we all our God. Whatever you define this as, I don't know what it means, but we must agree it means the whole person with hearts and hands and voices. There's an intensity, isn't there, in giving thanks? We're not just saying it in a cool, detached manner. Um, let me use some illustrations here. Um, if you think of a person who's been healed of cancer, say, uh, maybe a person has had terminal cancer and they've experienced a miraculous healing, can you think of that person just accepting it in a cool, detached way? I can't imagine that being the case. I can imagine this person dancing for joy, as it were, for being healed from cancer. We can understand this man being healed from leprosy and if we've been healed from the disease of sin, isn't it unnatural not to be intense? Now, I know personalities differ, cultures differ. If we were in Africa this morning uh, and the offering was being taken, what would happen is not people going around with baskets, but people coming up to the front to give their offering. And that would take half an hour because everybody would be doing their little jig. And that's not drawing attention to themselves. It's just giving thanks with the whole being. This intensity, my friends, we, we, we should always be intense in giving thanks. Um, I'm not reading this to be provocative, but listen to Mr. Spurgeon here. I, I want you to listen to this. Do you know the Metab in the 19th century had people converted and they were wild, right? They were wild. Imagine if that happened to us. Some of our converts, said Spurgeon, are very wild at times. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? They grow extravagant. Do not blame them. Why not indulge them? It will not hurt you. We are all of us so very proper and orderly that we can afford to have an extravagant one among us. 
now and then. Isn't that good? Oh, that God would send more of that sort to wake the church up, that we also might all begin to praise God with heart and voice, with soul and substance, with might and main. And he goes on to say, hallelujah, my own heart feels the glow. <laughs> Don't you want that? You know, I sometimes think we need a good drum kit here to get our singing going. We didn't need it tonight, but don't worry, that's not going to happen. But may our hearts be so moved by what Christ has done for us that we would have a rhythm in praising our glorious Saviour. There's nothing heavy, my friends, about worship. It's the most glorious activity we can ever be involved in. Don't you agree? Oh, for a heart. It doesn't matter whether it's an organ or whether it's something else, but oh, for a heart to praise my God. A heart from sin set free. A heart that always feels the blood so freely shed for me. And then one more characteristic. I've really got to hurry up. Look at the humility of this one leper. Jesus says, verse 17, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? He didn't say a word against them, did he? He didn't say, oh Lord, how terrible that only I've returned to give thanks. He was simply so overcome that he looked to his own heart. Spurgeon said, oh brothers, we have enough to do to mind our own business when we feel the grace of God in our own hearts than to criticize others. And I remember Mr. Hyam saying, and this is very helpful, um, he went through a phase when he w was wishing, oh Lord, I would that there'd be more people coming to the prayer meeting. Uh, he may have shared this with some of you. Uh, he, he, and he was in danger of complaining that there weren't more people coming to the prayer meeting. And then God just dealt with him. And God said to him, be grateful for who are already coming. Isn't that good? Be grateful for what you've already got. Don't complain about what you haven't got. Look at what you've got. Now, that brings me to my third point, and I'll have to be very quick here. I've vowed to finish by the hour, unless the Spirit really comes down. The cultivation of thankfulness, very quickly. How can we cultivate greater thankfulness in our midst? Just, I'll hurry through a few points. They say after you've been ill and you haven't been able to eat, the best way to start eating again is to start eating. <laughs> and if we've been afflicted with the disease of thanklessness, the best way to get healed of it is to give thanks. Isn't that good? Sunday school chorus, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Don't just think of the big things, but think of the everyday things, those things that they don't take for granted in other parts of the world, but that we are just spoiled with, and we never thank God for them. 
Oh, may, may everything that we seek to do be done with thankfulness. And maybe the most important, don't take the grace of God for granted. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Oh, I don't want to get to the point as a Christian minister where grace becomes something cheap. I've heard men say, I don't want to hear about the cross. I don't want to hear about those basic things. I want to move on, move on to higher things. How terrible to say that. What's moving on? If it's moving on beyond Calvary, Williams Pantacellian said eternity will be too short to uh, say about the worth of the blood of the cross. I don't want to move on from the cross. I want to move further into the cross. I want to plumb the depths of the love of God, the ocean of the love displayed on the cross. I want to reach the heights of the love of God. I just want to get more into it, don't you? Did you notice that second hymn that we sung, Now Thank We All Our God, Martin Rinkatz. He was alive during the Thirty Years' War, which happened after the Protestant Reformation. And I can't believe this is true, but it was in the commentary, so maybe it's true. <laughs> At the time that he wrote that hymn, he had to conduct 40 funerals a day. That's not possible, is it? 40 it might be 40 funerals a week, including his own wife. So many people were being killed. And do you know what he said? Now thank we all our God. And do you know what he wrote that as? He wrote it as family grace. Isn't that lovely? In Welsh sometimes, I don't think we do this in the English scene, but on the Welsh side, we sing grace before a meal. Isn't that lovely? I can imagine Martin Rinkatz and the rest of his family singing in the midst of all the discouragements. Now thank we all our God. Martinez, what is his watchword? God is good. God is good. And then let, let's seek to pepper our prayers with thanksgiving. This is true. You can read it in Ian Murray's first volume on Lloyd-Jones. If in the prayer meeting in Sandfield, somebody didn't give thanks in their prayer, do you know what Dr. Lloyd-Jones would do? He would stop them. Now, I don't know how I would do that, but he would stop them in the middle of their prayer and tell them to give thanks to, to the Lord. Oh, may, may we always seek to spice our prayers with thanksgiving uh, isn't it one of the most liberating experiences in a prayer meeting or i found it to be when you've got a new christian praying for the first time isn't that lovely to hear a voice a broken voice maybe not with all the right theology or the right cliches but oh how full of thanks they are and how that raises the prayer meeting uh, let me just close with a prayer of george herbert he was a mystic George Herbert, may this be our prayer. Thou hast given so much to me. Give one thing more, a grateful heart. Not thankful when it pleaseth me, as if thy blessing had spared days, but such a heart whose pulse, that's good, whose pulse may be thy praise in the weeks and months ahead may one characteristic be true of us as the lord's people 
that we're a thankful people. Not complainers, but those who can't help praise the Lord for his namesake. Amen.